0: Hi, I'm Grace Karrison, and I head up sales solutions for LinkedIn across Asia Pacific. Right now, we are witnessing the great reshuffle. This means there's a reordering of the employer employee relationship. On the one side, businesses are rethinking the way their company works. They're rethinking culture and values and what it means to work at their company. Now on the employee side, the shift to remote working also has employees rethinking not just how they work but why they work and how to get the most from their personal and professional lives. So there is a massive reshuffling happening right now. Hi everyone, and welcome to Take the Lead, a podcast from LinkedIn Sales Solutions. Now, almost two years into the global pandemic, and we've gathered data, insights, and perspective paired with top innovators and sales leaders in the Asia-Pacific region to bring you this series. And with me to co-host this episode is Tim Grogan.
1: Thanks, Chris. Uh, Tim Grogan here, leader of our Australian sales solution business and key accounts across APAC. This series aims to empower senior leaders with data and navigate the complexity of this economy post-pandemic.
0: This is episode one of the season, and there's plenty to unpack in the great global shift we're living through.
1: And could could be more excited to dig into today's topic. So we're going to look at three core areas. One, the great reshuffle. What does that mean today to business? Two borderless economies and how that impacts the way we make decisions, and three, the trends within the industries and the economies here within an APAC.
0: And we encourage everyone to subscribe to Take the Lead on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. For some greater insight, I'm excited to have us join this episode, Paying Chua, LinkedIn's lead economist and data scientist for Asia Pacific. Paying and her team partner with governments, NGOs, and think tanks to reduce and eliminate barriers to economic opportunity. So Paying, welcome to the first episode of Take the Lead. Thanks Grace, thanks for having me here. Now, not many of our audience will know about this role in the company. Can you share with us your journey and how you got to this role at LinkedIn? Yeah, absolutely. So just, uh, this is a fun story. So when I first became a data
2: scientist, I actually had no intentions of becoming a data scientist. The role I had interviewed uh, for was as a research analyst. But during the interview process, the interviewers determined that I had some of the skills needed to be a data scientist. And then just started telling me about the role and what a data scientist was. So that's why I became a data scientist eventually. And that's also why I'm a huge advocate of interviewing from a huge pool of people with different backgrounds and experiences. In terms of how I came to this role in LinkedIn, I think that LinkedIn's the largest professional networking platform in the entire world. It's got all these great insights about how people are moving around, what they're doing in terms of careers, the types of skills that they're learning. And not just that, it's got information about companies and the trends that are shaping the global economy. That's why the role at LinkedIn is so exciting because it's a blend of an economist role and also a data science role. It allows us to use the data that we've got on LinkedIn, but to inform insights on what's going on in the world.
1: That's an incredible story and a great journey, Paying. I'm really interested to learn more from you around So what are you most excited about for 2022? What are the trends or the observations you're seeing that you could share with us today?
2: So I'm most excited about all the changes that are going on. I mean, the labour market has always been changing. But right now, it's changing at a much faster pace. And we see a lot of new types of changes come in. One example is the green transformation. You know, green and sustainability has recently become a really big topic we're starting to see this green skills and green jobs integrate into the labor market. So as an economist and as a data scientist, I'm always very excited when I see these kind of trends appear. And the second one that I'm really excited about is on how economies will be recovering. Because as we see the recovery going on, I expect that it will become really a job seekers market as increasingly job seekers will firstly be in a much stronger position to renegotiate employment terms because the labour market's tightening. Second, and more importantly, people are rethinking their priorities. They are thinking about what they want. They are thinking about flexibility. They are thinking about working remotely or hybrid work models. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that emerging in the coming
0: year. Let's talk about the great reshuffle, which we're currently living through today, whether you're an employee or a company, and it's a period of what we call unprecedented change that the workforce and companies are going through. Our latest data in APAC shows that job changing is now much higher than pre-pandemic levels as employees explore roles and increasingly favor flexible and remote working opportunities. Now Paying, when did this start? When did you start seeing these trends here in the region? So when COVID first hit last year in early 2020,
2: we started to see a huge reaction in the labour market. We saw that hiring activity was going down. Lots of companies were adjusting to the sudden changes. And a lot of people found themselves either being furloughed or being laid off. Since then, we've seen recovery back to pre-COVID levels. And as of earlier this year, into earlier in 2021, we started seeing that the hiring levels had actually recovered to pre-COVID. So that's a good sign because it shows us that we are on track to getting back to where we were originally before the pandemic hit. What we've also started to see, there are indications in the labour market data that tell us that the hiring is going to continue growing. One thing that we've seen is that demand for recruiters has skyrocketed by seven times and is far above pre-COVID levels. So the demand for recruiters, you can think about this as an early indicator of where hiring demand is going to go. Because when companies start hiring recruiters, it indicates that they are preparing to really start hiring more employees again. And I think we are only just seeing the beginning of the recovery
0: and of the increase in job transitions and reshuffling. You mentioned there's lots of movement in the workforce and the uptick when it comes to recruitment reaching pre-pandemic levels. So tell me, what do you think that means when it comes to employees and businesses, as we're also seeing flexibility and remote work coming to the fore?
2: That's a great question, Grace. I think it means different things for different people. Firstly, for employees, they need to stay Adaptable amidst all of the changes that are going on. You know, remain open to different career paths and different options, but at the same time, continue upskilling so that they can remain relevant amidst all the changes that are going on. Business leaders also need to adjust their playbooks in the new normal. Firstly, by expanding their pipelines for candidates that come from alternative non-traditional backgrounds. Think about skills rather than experiences or education backgrounds. Secondly, having flexible arrangements and work-life balance is key for attracting talent. We've found that flexibility is one of the fastest growing priorities for candidates who are considering a new job. In fact, it's become 12% more important according to our LinkedIn survey data. Meanwhile, we've also found that work-life balance is one of the top considerations for employees in terms of whether they decide to stay at their current job or look for a different job. I highly encourage business leaders to consider all of this and also be aware of what employees want in order to attract the best talent possible.
0: Paying, I've got so many questions to ask you. There is a massive change as far as the great reshuffle that is happening right now in which flexibility and remote work, and I suppose trust is the key thing that companies really need to keep in mind. What are the factors driving the great reshuffle? And are you able to share some LinkedIn insights?
2: So one statistic that I like to talk about is what drives a job seeker to actually think about changing jobs. And what we've found is that what triggers someone to start looking for a new job or at least start browsing through job postings, is when they feel that their workload is unmanageable, it's too much, and they struggle with the stress that's coming from it. In fact, we find that employees are 37% more likely to look at a job post when they are under this sort of work stress. But then what actually drives them to apply for a job comes when they feel that they don't get support from their managers. When that happens, they are 49% more likely to apply for a new job. And that's where I think companies really need to consider employee well-being and provide care and support to their workers. And that's one of my favorite stats because I think it reflects not just the labor market in terms of the supply and demand of skills or the supply and demand of jobs, but at a more intrinsic level of what it means to be an employee and what it means to be a leader.
1: It's so interesting, Payeen, when I think around focus on the work that people are doing and how that people are getting burnt out. What do you think is the right balance between the well-being and still achieving this productivity gains that we've seen since the pandemic?
2: Well, First of all, I think that everyone's different. The type of flexible work arrangement that they'll want is different. And it will be key for organizations and business leaders to determine how best to adjust their workforces and their policies in order to enable this. And fortunately, I think we are already starting to see some of this shift in terms of remote work. For example, we're seeing that companies are responding. They are increasing the number of remote work opportunities available when they start posting jobs. For example, in Australia. We see that the share of job postings that have remote work options is at 8.3% now in October 2021. Firstly, it's up from 3.8% as compared to one year ago. And secondly, it's also on a growth trajectory, meaning that even though economies are reopening and people do have the option of going back into the office, companies are still recognizing the need to have remote work options available for employees and for new hires. So I think that's a really good sign that reflects that employers and business leaders know what's needed and are adjusting their job descriptions accordingly. It's important to also support employees as they are working remotely or as they are working in a hybrid manner.
1: Paying, how do you think the borderless economy is gonna be showing up in our data? What can you see in our data that will help us understand what's happening and what's playing out for the future?
2: Well, first of all, we've already seen some things appearing. For example, we've seen the rise of digital collaboration tools. We've seen that people are increasingly reporting more and more online collaboration tools, including things like video conferencing and also accessing online learning content more. So that's one of the trends we are already starting to see. Another thing that might occur is with the borderless economy, We also know that this means that people are no longer restricted to living in the places that they work. This means that we might actually not see physical migration going on or we might not see it as intensely as we would expect because people now can work remotely from anywhere.
1: That's counterintuitive actually to what you think will happen.
2: Definitely, but I think that's really a reflection of where we are right now in terms of all the changes that are going on. You know, we're gonna see a lot of these new things appearing, manifesting in different ways that we've never seen before.
0: Since the pandemic went global in early 2020, most of us have spent our time inside or nearby our homes. And yet from a selling perspective, the bulk of conversations are happening with people far across the globe. LinkedIn insights revealed that international selling is now the majority of all virtual prospecting. In 2020, the top 39 active countries on LinkedIn saved a cumulative 692.5 million leads in Sales Navigator. That's more than half, 53% of those leads were international, meaning the prospect was based in a different country than the seller. And I see that that trend is likely to continue. Well, in some ways it's relatively intuitive. Everyone is selling virtually these days and with the pandemic eliminating most in-person interaction, and when you are selling virtually, it's as practical to target a company on one city or over five countries over, as well as adapt to new ways of working these international relationships are unlikely to go away.
1: Grace, as a a leader of our sales solution business, how is big data helping sales organizations make better decisions today? How did the aggregation of this data enable a sales company to think differently or act differently when it comes to their own customers?
0: We see this manifest in many ways. If you look at the last 12 to 24 months, many companies relied on data to understand how they should be acting or reacting at the onset of pandemic. Which customers do they need to approach when it comes to needing their support and their help? Which customers or new industries are really needing what they have to offer as far as products and services? And so it's helped them be empathetic in the right ways with the right customers. And at the same time is be proactive where customers are really needing their own products and services. To me, that's one. And as customers today move towards recovery and to what we call as a hybrid environment, they're also looking at data to understand where is it that they can grow? Where is it that they can expand? What are the new markets? And what are the new skills and industries? And as an example is like what Paying has to share with us. Those near term or future type of trends and new potential opportunities are ongoing conversations that we're having with customers today. And so big data is really important. And what's even more important is really the insight that LinkedIn can provide to our customers on what they can do and how they can action that to uh, to be successful uh, with their business. So far, we've had a conversation with Paying around the great reshuffle and the opportunities for the borderless economies. So the third and final topic of this episode is the growth of data economies and new industries in the Asia Pacific region. Paying, in your role as both lead economist and chief data science, can you give us your perspective on what this means around data here in the region?
2: Data is being used everywhere, and I think it's it's now almost impossible to separate the use of data from most businesses. As a data scientist, I mean, this really excites me because what it means is that we've got so much data and so much information that we can use to drive the decisions that we make. It's not like a lot of other goods, for example, like, like a cookie. If I ate a cookie and, you know, Grace, you couldn't eat the same cookie as me because the cookie would be gone. But if I used a piece of data, you could use the same data for a different purpose altogether. And I think that's really the power of what it is. Because we're going to get a lot more data. We're not going to run out of it. We're going to have so much data. We need lots of help in order to manage it. We're going to need tools and processes and rules in terms of how we collect the data, how we use it, how we store it. And even eventually, you know, how we destroy it. Now, you spoke about
0: that we're not going to run out of data. And in fact, there's going to be potentially too much data. One thing that I'd like to ask you is, how do you trust that data and the importance of that? In order for us to feel
2: confident in using the data, we must first trust it, right? So we need to trust the source that that it came from, that it's a reliable and accurate source we need to trust that it's given us a good, complete picture of what's going on and not a biased view of just one very small part of the entire ecosystem. And one thing we also need to have in order to enable that are ways of validating the data. For example, if there are different sources of data all saying the same thing, that helps to strengthen the validity of it because it's not just one person
0: saying one thing. Thanks, Paying. Now let's shift gears a little bit. When it comes to growth of new industries and applying technology, specifically data on how you identify that, how you see the trends, can you tell us a little bit more about it and what you and the team are doing and what you and the team are seeing, specifically here in the region? Because LinkedIn has such a
2: huge wealth and corpus of data, we have it in different time series, for example, and that allows us to track trends that are going on. Because of that, we're able to see the emergence of new trends. For example, the rise in people reporting more and more green scales, and also the increased use of digital tools, which spiked when COVID first started last year. So by having data that's on a time trend, and that's got all sorts of granularity elements, we're really able to dive in and see what's going on at different points in time, and be able to see what's emerging out of the labor market.
0: Before we say thank you for you joining us today paying, if there was one key takeaway that you would like to leave the audience, what would that be?
2: So one key thing that I'd like people to take away is that, you know, the labor market's changing so fast right now, and that makes it even more important for everyone to remain flexible, to remain adaptable to the changes. If you are an employee or a job seeker, think about what alternative paths you might have and think about the types of skills that might get you there. If you're a business leader, think about giving employees more flexibility and more autonomy as you move towards a hybrid workforce. And really just keep an eye on the changes that are going on because there are going to be plenty of them and we are all going to have to remain adaptable in the new normal.
0: Thank you, Paying. I always love hearing about new trends that we are seeing on the uh, on the LinkedIn platform. And green skills and green industries is definitely one that we are having more conversations with our customers across industries.
1: Thank you so much, Paying, for sharing your insights. We're really grateful for the investment you've made in helping us think more thoughtfully around the trends that are happening based on what you've seen through our data.
2: Thanks, Tim and Grace, for having me. It was my pleasure to share our insights with the world.
1: You know, Grace, it's so interesting listening to around the, the whole skill-based economy and you think of think of the story of Pei Ying where she didn't even know what data science was. She studied at Harvard, she's got all these incredible credentials and she just literally fell into a role which, you know, probably 10 years ago didn't even exist.
0: You know, as, as we think about the great reshuffle, the borderless economy and the emerging data-centric economies, I can't help but think the role that LinkedIn and Paying's team are playing. So imagine over 800 million members, 36,000 skills, over 50 million companies, 11 million open jobs, and 90,000 schools. This is all the data on LinkedIn and through every member, company, job, school, we're able to spot the trend like talent migration, hiring rates, the borderless engagement, and demand for skills in any region. And I just want to highlight that this is what Ying and her team are doing and looking at that data. And I'm excited about what we can do for sales solutions, for marketing solutions, and from the talent solutions business on how we can help shape and create opportunities for companies and government to thrive and be successful in the region.
1: Yeah, I mean, Grace, I couldn't agree more. And I think what's incredible when we're out in the market, but just talking to a number of clients and you're able to share this level of intelligence, these insights that can help them understand their business, their competitive positioning, helping them with their migration strategies, but more importantly, where should they be investing their new office? Like what type of talent is being untapped and has complementary skills and can help them with their diversity goals. I think when you bring this level of intelligence to the conversation with a customer, It changes their perception of LinkedIn, but also helps them realize how are they making decisions in the past?
0: A hundred percent. And the one thing that Paying shared in the beginning are the emerging economies or the emerging industries that she's seeing. And to me, Asia Pacific is ripe for that because we do have a younger demographic that is already tech savvy. And so she spoke about the green economy and the greening of skills Now this is where the data that LinkedIn has, and from a sales solutions perspective, this is where we're already having conversations with customers around how are your customers changing towards a more sustainable environment and a more sustainable uh, company. With the workforce changing, again, Gen Z really cares about the planet and humanity. What are the industries that you should be looking at to invest, and to rescale your own uh, sales organization. So I think what we're seeing now is we can help companies really prepare their own employees on rescaling opportunities, but also helping companies understand how their own customers are changing. And to me, that is really exciting.
1: Well, you know, I've been using a phrase, you know, insight-based selling. And insight-based selling to me is, helping customers now today saying, well, where are the growth industries that you should be focusing on and tapping into? And if it's the green economy and sustainability roles and sustainability companies that are really understanding the new frontier and how to recognize new technology and create more value for the globe and the climate, how are normal service and product-based companies now tapping into that and identifying them and prioritising those opportunities in the way they're trying to position their own propositions to them, to be able to reach out to them with the value proposition that they think will align to where that company could go. These are the things where the intelligence that's coming from this Economic Graph team to enable LinkedIn to have really meaningful conversations with our customers.
0: And what I would add to that, Tim, is with Insight Selling, this really is about the relationship. And that insight into that relationship is really critical. And it's not only when you make the sale, but it's a longer term. Again, is what we're seeing is if you look at the onset of pandemic, many companies relied on data and insight to understand which customers and which industries were needing that digital transformation if you're in the tech sector, but then which are their customers are really needing you to pick up the phone and for you to say, hey, we're here to support. And from a LinkedIn perspective, that is exactly what, what we did is we have the data and the insights to be able to understand which of our customers are really needing our support and which of other customers are really needing the productivity and the tools that's gonna to require them to look at new industries and new customers that really need their help with whatever product or services that they're offering.
1: You know, you mentioned relationships, you mentioned helping our customers there being at the core and, and we're seeing a huge shift. You know, I think the pandemic's changed the way people actually need to sell, putting the customer first, being really bi-centric in the way you build those relationships, recognizing buyer behaviors significantly changed, that the buyer now is more versed and more aware of the trends within their industries and the players within the industries than they ever have been. How do you add value? At what stages do you add value? And one of the things where I'm really excited to see how our customers are now using our solution really effectively with Sales Navigator is automating the changes that we're seeing because of the great reshuffle. And there's nothing more disturbing to your business when your key customers or the people you've been working with leave and go somewhere else because often you've invested significantly into those relationships. So how are you able to make sure that you know who all the people are and the right people and The breadth of those relationships is really important. I think the other thing to be really mindful of, equally, there's a lot of people coming into your customer base because of the changes we're seeing this great reshuffle. And how are you using the insights to be aware of when people are changing roles? And when they do become your customer, how do you take the early mover advantage and use the insight from LinkedIn to see that they've changed role to be able to automate that in a way that you can reach out and say, hey, welcome to company X. Uh, this is what we represent. We're excited to help you on your journey. What a great icebreaker and what a great competitive advantage that can be to actually keep track of what is hugely disruptive to a lot of our customers today.
0: I love that, Tim. And I know that we've heard it time and again over the last two years that you know the pandemic has accelerated digital transformation. What does that really mean? To me it's about how does a company really look at what we call the analog processes that they have Mm. just as important is automating it because you want your employees to be successful you want them to be productive and you want them to have the best relationships with your prospects or with your current customers and again is the data and the insights and how you develop how you engage and how you maintain that relationship over time is going to be critical, because again, as you said, is all the information is already on the buyer's fingertips because everything is online, and so it's really about how you build that relationship in a scalable, in an automated way that is still as authentic as you know being in person.
1: Yeah, you know what? Really a great reflection as well was around the diversity, diversity of skills. This whole notion that. What a traditional hire looks like has now changed. And that's probably been accelerated because of the pandemic. I've never seen a market with more talent shortages, A, because the borders are closed. And so we're not seeing that migration of talent. But also we're seeing a recognition that's probably not enough people to do certain roles with these new skills. These new industries are developing new ways of working, new ways of thinking. And we need to reskill a huge amount of the workforce and also be perhaps not as biased and change our mindset on the type of people we need to be bringing in to a company and the responsibility to be upskilling them with perhaps some of these new skills as well. I think that's going to be uh, a significant change and will continue, I think, for some time.
0: So Tim, to add to your point, we only had to look at the last 12 to 24 months when companies of all sizes suddenly had to shift from in-person to remote work. And what companies have found is that Employees are able to adapt. They're able to engage, to manage relationships, or even do different roles that they've never done before. And that's why we talk about it when it comes to skills-based. And it's not about the school that you went to. It's not about the experience that you've had over the last 20 years. But it's more around the different areas that you've been exposed to and having the skills that is transferable. To me, that's one. The second thing that you spoke about is around diversity. What I'm seeing as a positive view of hybrid or remote working is really expanding the talent pool that is now available, because you're no longer constrained around just hiring within a city or hiring within a country. Your talent pool is now borderless, just as selling is now borderless. To me, that is just going to foster the diversity of experiences, the diversity of lens that can come into the uh, to the workforce.
1: Yeah, I was really taken by the comment around that we actually, I, my hypothesis was, oh, migration now, like how many people are going to be on the beach working? But of course, with COVID and, and border control, it was really interesting to hear that actually, no, we actually haven't seen yet that migration, but yet we are seeing an increase in remote jobs. And so first of all, it does make me wonder what's going to happen when higher vaccination rates and will that migration follow? That That's going to be an interesting one to watch, I think. My sense is that a lot of companies are kind of saying, you know, we'll probably go back to normal. But I, I wonder whether that's not true. I wonder whether now that once people get a taste of remote working, once people have had that level of empowerment, I don't think it's going to be a trend that's going to go away. I think this is going to be more significant. And What is that going to mean to a lot of these companies that historically have loved having people in that sort of environment? The other thing that I wanted to share that made me really reflect was our customers, and all of a sudden, because collaboration is so much easier, because these digital uh, platforms are now enabling us to communicate far more effectively than we ever had, what's it going to mean to a lot of the organization's growth where all of a sudden markets, they maybe thought, I'm not going to go there because I don't have a sales force there. All of a sudden, it's okay to have this type of meeting. It's okay to sort of talk this way. It's it's okay to collaborate that way. I wonder what it's gonna mean for the local economies now that sales can just operate across the borders.
0: And Tim, we're already seeing that. So if you look at some of the data points that we've seen over the last 12 months on what's happening on the sales navigator when it comes to engagement and relationships that's being formed. You know, if you look at India, Singapore, Hong Kong, Australia, These are markets where we've seen their engagement outside of APAC, outside of their home country. So there is now the opportunity, not only to be successful wherever you are, whether your particular market is within a particular country or a region or globally. So I'm seeing that the last 12 to 24 months has made remote engagement in business even more acceptable. Mm. And what that means as we go into hybrid is that, you know, offices will open up, people will, will go back to work, but they're not going to be going back to work full time. Mm. And so you have to be good at both in-person engagement, but also remote engagement and how you prepare. And as you said, is how you demonstrate a like, buyer first centricity is going to be really important. But what's exciting is that your market is no longer just your home market Your market is now globally, and that's why we call it the borderless economy, because we are seeing that happen today.
1: Well, wherever you're listening to Take the Lead, please hit subscribe to get the new episodes as they arrive.
0: You can also follow our LinkedIn sales solutions page to access our Take the Lead blog series breaking down issues and trends affecting sales leaders in an increasingly digital world.
1: We've included the links to more information in the episode notes here or search for LinkedIn sales solutions in LinkedIn.
0: Thanks everyone.
1: Thanks for listening everyone.